0: Okay, the parasha is Matot, Matot, which is a parasha that uh, has a, a variety of topics in it. And one of the topics, the topic that we're interested in, is sort of the end, the end of Midyan. The end of Midyan. You know that the enemies, I mean in these parashiyot, starting from Balak, and then Tinchas, and then Matot, there was a kind of an issue Israel against the enemy. And the enemy was Midian and Moab. Midian and Moab. They were the enemies. And so in the parish of Matot, which is next to the last parish in the book of Bamidbar, the matter is kind of reviewed again in Mas A. In Mas A. But in Matot, there is a special and interesting directive that Moshe Rabbeinu receives. So let's look at the psukim, they're on the sheet. Ra'idabeh Hashem el-Moshe Nikmat b'nei Yisrael Nikom Nikama, the word Nikama means avenge or revenge or uh, that's not an easy word. Right, that's not an easy word. Uh, but uh, there's a directive it's a mitzvah HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu Nikom Tzivui right, for those who remember Ulpan it was it's the command form of the word Nikom Nikmat Bnei Yisrael Me'eit Hamidyanim Achar Te'aseif Elamecha Achar means Achartach after A, then will be B. And B is Tehaseyfe elamecha. we don't want to get into that, but it's another way of saying you will die. You will be collected to your people, which means uh, the people who are already dead. You will join the people who are already dead. So of course this, is a, uh, this, is a, this pasuk is difficult in several ways. But we'll look at Rashi to get a kind of handle on the ways that Rashi thinks this pasuk is difficult, and then we'll see if we should add um, add to it. First, Rashi says, "Meita midyanim, velo avim. So now you all remember, or you should remember, or you could remember, that Balak, Balak, came from the community called. Moab Moab Vayagor Moab the Moabites were the ones who instigated all of these things and then they got the Midianites to join in with them so even though in our kind of memory they're all bad people we kind of don't have to distinguish but Rashi here forces us to distinguish because the pasuk after all says Me'etam Midianim only the Midyanim are addressed. Moshe Rabbeinu, take care of the Midyanim. What about the Moabites? What about the Moavim? So Rashi says, Rashi says this, There so somehow the Moabites can be forgiven. I mean, they did a bad thing. They came and they came to do battle with uh, B'nai Yisrael in different ways. But well, we're going to forgive them. Why are we going to forgive them? Mishayu mehem. We're going to forgive them because, after all, they they were in fear. They were in fear of B'nai Yisrael. They were afraid. afraid well. What's going to happen? B'nai Yisrael is going to over overwhelm us and they'll destroy our land. And they will uproot the grass. And it will as a terrible thing to us. Ayu yirei imihem shayu sholilim otam. Shelo ne'emar ela, because it says about them, Al titgar bam milchama. Al titgar bam milchama. Do not uh, encourage a war against them. Avom midjanim nit'abru oliv lola lahem. The Midianim they got excited. Right, they, they kind of got full of themselves. I'll read Because the Moabites, the Moab, and they're the ones who were afraid. And the Midianites said, Oh, you know, here's an opportunity to fight. We're going to go fight. we will also go fight. So uh, uh, Rashi asked the question. Rashi asked the question. The question is, How come Moshe Rabbeinu is directed to fight against the Midianites and not to fight against the Moabites. Where it seems to us, if you look at the Psukim in the parish of Balak, it seems quite clear that it's the Moabites that are Moab is responsible for the, all of this and not Midian. So Rashi answers the question. How does Rashi answer the question? How? He says, Oh, the the." the uh, Moabites can be forgiven because they were afraid they truly were afraid of what would happen when B'nai Yisrael overran their land. The Midianites they just wanted to have a fight they would have gone out and have a fight with anybody. So they had a fight against B'nai Yisrael that's the first terrorist in Russia. That's the first terrorist that's a terrorist that's hard to hard to understand. I said what difference is that? what do you mean they were afraid? B'nai Yisrael guaranteed that they would not do anybody any harm. They said that again and again. So they were afraid that maybe B'nai Yisrael was going to fool them. So on that basis they become righteous. That's a little hard to understand. Especially if Moshe Rabbeinu is directed by Kodesh Bochu to uh, avenge what happened. So what's, how can you make this distinction between Moab and Midian That's a question. Rashi, like if you learn Rashi the way some of you were taught to learn Rashi in, in school so Rashi says Rashi says Dabar akher. Right, write so what does that mean? You know that there is a famous Chastei Dovid the Chastei Dovid uh, um, wrote a commentary on Rashi Chastei Dovid wrote a commentary on Rashi, his name was David Fardu Pe Aleph Reis Talid Vav, that was his name and, and, and he was a very remarkable person and uh, he wrote a famous commentary on the Tosefta, part of which is printed in the Vilna Shas. It's sort of like, he wrote a very long commentary, but the people who printed the Vilna Shas, I guess they thought we didn't deserve such a long commentary. And it didn't fit on the page, Or and anyway, who learns the Tosefta? You know, it's like a kind of, so it's sort of, you get an extra, an extra thing, but you don't have to use it anyway. So what they did was they created an extract, a short form of the Chasdei David. But in subsequent years, the Chasdei David was published, and republished, and republished again. And recently, published on Taharot, right? The Tosefta on Taharot. It's very important. It turns out to be a very important commentary. With and the publication of the commentary has its own stories. But he also wrote. This is how we start, He also wrote a Peirush and Rashi. That is called I think Chasdei David But he wrote many many svarim. All of them are called Dash David right, so I may be Mixing it up But I think it's called Chasdei David So the So the Perish Oh no I'm sorry What's it called No Maskele David Maskele, Sorry Maskele David That's what the Perish is called You could even buy it In bookstores Is that correct You see that that has came out recently in square print. I have an old copy, which is unreadable, right? Uh, which is kind of what distinguished the old versions of most foreign was that you couldn't read them, which uh, was either a boon or impeded the march of learning. Like I'm not sure. I'm not sure which it was. But so I have an old copy of the Mascula Dovid I can't read, and then I have a new copy of this. Uh, Square a letter version, which is very good. So, Mascula says, the Mascula David says that when Rashi says the I'm sure Rashi must have heard this. When Rashi says the davar it means he's not satisfied with the first interpretation. That Rashi is not just trying to call, give us information, but this is this is the uh, this is the invention of Mascula David. If I'm not uh, mistaken, I think that the Chavalei also like this idea. I don't like the idea. I don't like it. I think that when Rashi Rashi says the baracher, he means they're both right. That's what I think he means. It doesn't mean that the first one is not so good and the second one is better. I don't like that. I don't like that uh, uh, position. But what does Rashi say? Rashi Devaracher says something absolutely remarkable. Remarkable in the sense that it really doesn't make any sense. I mean, there are a few things that really don't make any sense, but this is one of them. Rashi says this, the Acher, Mifneishte predo tovo tshyyeshli lo tzimihem. HaKodesh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, it's like in the middle of a conversation. HaKodesh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, go and do in the Moabites. So Moshe Rabbeinu says to HaKodesh Baruch Hu, right, uh, it's not there, but we're making it up. So Moshe Abed, says to the Kodesh What about the Midianites? I'm going to go give them a whack also. So the Kodesh says to Moshe Abed, No, no, let them be. Let them be the Midianites. Why? there are two children. They're going to be born of, Mo, of, of Moab. And so I don't want to destroy them now. Because if you destroy them now, it will be very hard for me. To have them be born. Right? So who are they? So Ruta Moaviyah, as you know, was a Moavia. And she was an impressive personality, no doubt. And she was the one who became the grandmother, the great-grandmother of David... Hamela. So according to Paul says to Moshe Rabbeinu, listen, sometimes we can't do justice. You know, what's justice? Justice means get those, get those uh, Moabites. You don't get them. But if you get them, what's going to happen to Ruth? I mean, we'll lose out on, on, on Shavuos. Well, what are we going to do? I mean, Shavuos, there'll be no Ruth, there'll be no Ruth, There'll be nothing to talk about. And then who knows who David Hamela's great-grandmother will be. So so so, says to Moshe Abedu, lay off." So what Abishur should have said: "Listen, you have your problem; we have our problem, <laughs> right? Like, like, like we have to we have to do justice. I mean, that's what we are told to do. And justice means that the Midianites and the Moabites are the same, as far as Ruth is concerned. So Akhod will take care of it. There'll be two uh, two um, Moabites left in a cave someplace." And they'll have children, and eventually you will be What do we have to worry about it? What you it's such a, it's such a intellectual non sequitur that, that, uh, that no one even bothers with it. No one talks about it because it's, it's like it's a little scary. Like what are we going to say? What might you say? So let's go back, let's go back to the psukim. So we did. We learned one pasuk. We don't know exactly why then the kama goes to Midian more than it goes to Moab, and then there's a, the second last part of the pasuk is achar which means that then you will die. What is what is uh, why does the pasuk have to say that? Why does God have to say that to Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu knows Yoshua ben has chosen, has been chosen. He's going there to the He's not going there to the What is this? Is this supposed to encourage Moshe Rabbeinu? They said, Moshe Rabbeinu, if you'll go and fight against the Midianites, you Midianites, you're going to be well rewarded. What's your reward? You're going to die. So what Moshe Rabbeinu say? This Chazal say. I'm not saying this. Chazal say. So Moshe Rabbeinu could have said, Okay, so I won't do it. I won't fight against the Midianites. And as long as I don't fight against the Midianites, I won't die. So I'll put it off. I'll pay my, you know, get put, get the calendar i say, instead of fighting against the Midnightites today, I'll fight against them in five years. So at least for five years, I will remain I will remain living. Next Pasuk, Pasuk Gilu. But Moshe Rabbeinu immediately collects the army, and he gives the command, and he says... We're going to we're going to execute the Dekama, the, the vengeance, on Midyan, on Midyan. Rashi by the Ben Moshe, Avapishes Shama, Shemitatot Kluya uh, B'Davar, Asa B'Simcha V'Lo Icher. In other words, that somehow there's a lesson here, that mitzvah equals simcha, right? The whole idea of simcha is connected to. Doing things, that, that making things as they should be. That's what Simcha is. So that's why the greatest Simcha is the Simcha of Chatan the Kala, because everybody recognizes the fact that, that this is the way it should be. Right? This is something that, that's about the future, that's about, uh, uh, you know, the life, what life has given us. However you want to say it, whether you want to say it romantically or rabbinically, there's no doubt that the Simcha of Chatan V'Kala is infectious. Right? We're all... I mean, even even though we know that there is a mitzvah of Simcha, for example, on Yom Tov, it's not quite the same. It's not as infectious for most for most uh, 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 people. But the Simcha of Chatan V'Kala is. So what Rashi says is that that's what a mitzvah is. Someone who really does a mitzvah, who does a mitzvah properly with the right attitude, he, he produces in him simcha. And, and so too Moshe Rabbeinu. to Whereas other people might kind of react and say, I don't want to do it. Because I don't want to die. But Moshe Rabbeinu said, oh here's an opportunity. How can I miss out on the opportunity to get the simcha of doing a mitzvah. Right? And then uh, uh, Rashi goes on and Rashi Kidarko. In explaining the various words, uh, he says Hechaltsu, right? The Pasuk says. The Pasuk says Tsu, You know, we know that word when people go to you know, go to capture to or save somebody who's in trouble, who's fallen into a ditch or into a gully. That's called to 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 bring him back to the world and Rashi says Kitargumo 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 means like like unculus, right? so if you look at Unculus, Zerizu Minchon Kuvrin Lechela Zerizu he says that the word Lametsadi is like the Hebrew word Lezareis to move quickly to move quickly and do something so Rashi says that that's correct also another interpretation is mezuyanim, armed They will be armed Anashim Anashim is Tzadikim V'chem v'chalano Anashim V'chem Anashim Chachamim V'yiduim Everybody knows that the word Anashim Even though it means today It means people or men It's sort of like a very neutral kind of word but it also had a less neutral kind of interpretation. Anashim are special people, righteous people. You know that in later later time, Ishim ish, ish meant Malachim. The Rambam mentions that in uh, the beginning of it. they had Torah. And so Nikmat Hashem, the end of that Rashi, Yisrael, Ki Ilu Neged so that the nekama, that the vengeance, is not only a vengeance of Israel against Israel against uh, uh, Midyan, but also Israel for Hakadosh Baruch against against Midyan. Okay, the next pasuk, Elef v'lamateh, Elef So here it means that there are going to be 12 groups, including a group for Levi, because even though Levi didn't participate in battles usually, but in this case it's a matter of kama, so the Levi should participate. <laughs> Okay. okay, well, more or less we, we have a, a, like a, a picture. We have a picture that Moshe Rabbeinu is in charge. There's a new mitzvah called Mikom. And that mitzvah is a mitzvah on the Midyanim, but not on the Moavim. And, um, and we saw in Rashi two possible interpretations uh, for the distinction between Moav and Midyan. That the Moabites, after all, were in fear of Bnei Yisrael, whereas the Midianites just joined for a good fight, and therefore they deserved the more intense punishment. And the second interpretation is Rashi. The Rashi is because of Ruta Moabiyah. That if we allow Moshe Rabbeinu and Bnei Yisrael to destroy the Moabites, what's going to be? How will Ruta Moaviah be a descendant of of these of these people, okay. Let's look at the Ramban. Let's look at the Ramban. The Ramban says this on the pasuk Nakom nikmat Al Moshe Shelo eta Yarde." He says we remember that Moshe Rabbeinu, was it was a gzeirah min that Moshe Rabbeinu will not be allowed to cross the Jordan River. Abo Ardain, but on the eastern side of the Jordan River, asa Kol Mitzvot Yisrael, he was still in charge. He still, even though leadership had officially been passed into the hands of Yoshua benun Nun in some way, as long as Moshe Rabbeinu was alive in the in the eastern part of the Jordan River, he did everything, for example Nitzach Shnei Malchei He won the battle against the two Amorite kings, Hagdolim Right, that's Sichon and Og V'chalaket And then Moshe Rabbeinu, remember, gave out the land of Sichon and Og to Ruvain Who else? Ruvain Yeah He's the one who gave it out as a nachala. He gave it to them as an inheritance, right? And therefore he's also worthy of fulfilling this demand to avenge the those who hated God, the Midianites. Yoshua Rak So so the Ramban is answering the question that you might have had, but which no one brought up. But the Ramban, he says, you might say, how is it at such a late date in Jewish history, I mean, you know, on the, they've already gone through the desert and they're actually waiting to go from Arvot Moab into Israel, Yisrael, why is it that Moshe Rabbeinu is still being given the directives to carry out God's will in battle Shouldn't Yoshua bin Nun have been the one who received this directive? So, so, so the Rambam emphasizes for us that until he died, Moshe Rabbeinu was in charge. That even though the mantle of leadership had been passed on to Yoshua, that mantle does not really take effect until B'nai Israel go into Eretz Yisrael. Okay. The al-Yoshua rak Mitzvot ha'aretz And Yoshua ben Nun really comes into play He becomes the true leader of Bnei Yisrael Rak Or when they get to Eretz Yisrael And they have to do kibush and nachala In Eretz, in Eretz Yisrael Ve'od Shechalak lo ha'kodesh boch u'kavod ze Yismach v'yismach Sadiq Ki chaza So he says it a little bit differently than Rashi says it. Rashi says the same thing. Rashi says that even though Moshe Rabbeinu could have said, well, I'll put it off and I'll live longer, Moshe Rabbeinu said, no, there's no greater joy than, uh, than doing a mitzvah, than doing God's will, so I'm going to do it right away. And the Ramban says it in a somewhat different way. The Ramban says... The Ode, the first word of the line, God gave Moshe Rabbeinu this honor, which sort of means that God could have, of course, told Yoshua bin to do it. Yoshua bin was the titular leader, and he was a lot younger than Moshe Rabbeinu Why did he tell, why did that Kodesh say to Moshe Rabbeinu You go to war, you lead the people, you do the vengeance? In other words, what does nikama mean in this case? What is nikamah? Nikamah means, I mean, you know what it means. It means vengeance. But what does it mean in, in our particular context according to the Rabban? Nikamah means to set things right. To set things right. What was wrong? What was wrong that... There was, after all, a partial victory that was sustained by the Midianites and the Moabites. Because even though at the end they were defeated in this ruse, they were successful to some extent in getting B'nai Yisrael to turn away from God and turn in the direction of idolatry. Right? So that Nikamah, was not only a punishment for the Midianites, but it was to set things right in the sense that anybody who looks at the history would imagine look, the, the Midianites were almost successful. So if they were almost successful, if I would just be a little smarter than them about this or that, maybe I would be successful. So the Nikamah is to remove this thought from the eyes of the beholder like people would never think any longer once the Midianites are wiped out no one would think oh these Midianites they were so close maybe we could do it maybe we could get a little bit closer in destroying B'nai Yisrael so that's what the line means the line means bohu kavod this kavod to straighten the things out in the world was given by God to Moshe Rabbeinu evi because this is not a regular kind of mitzvah because a regular kind of mitzvah is usually something that repeats itself it goes again and again and again this is a mitzvah that, that was only a one time mitzvah it's a different kind of mitzvah so what difference does it make if Moshe Rabbeinu does it or Yoshua ben does it so he says no, that there is a special joy that comes from doing this particular mitzvah, because it straightens things out in the world, that's what the Ramban says, and HaKadosh Baruch gave Moshe Rabbeinu this honor. So you, Moshe Rabbeinu, have the right to have the joy of straightening things out. So whereas Rashi said it in a kind of simpler way, right? Rashi says it, uh, uh, <laughs> where's the Rashi? in other words he followed God's will with joy but the way the Ramban says it is that it's not only a joy to do what God says but the result produced such a joy that it was a it was a, it was a, it was a merit for Moshe Rabbeinu to be able to do this directive of, a, of, of Hashem achar teyaseif elamecha achar teyaseif elamecha means you know, people die but the best way to die is is with joy is in a moment of joy in a moment of seeing that the world is better than it was beforehand and that's what Moshe Rabbeinu accomplished and that's vachar teyaseif elamecha Umoshe chalak kovod lepincha she-it-chil v'alav Mil So, and this is the rest of the, the story that Pinchas becomes like a Mil Milchama and it's not uh, part of the story that we, are, that we are dealing with. So, we have another, another point, right? Another point. One is the, the difference, one point is the difference between the Midianites and the Moabites, and, the, and another is this idea of Simcha. This idea of Simcha. In order to explain all of this, I'd like to introduce. Um, something that Ralph Cook wrote. Now, uh, I, I do this with a little bit of trepidation. I mean, maybe that's just a sign of my foolhardiness, and I should do it with a lot of trepidation. Okay, so I'll do it with a lot of trepidation. Um, it's not always easy to understand what Ralph Cook says. Right? Uh, and this is a problem. This is a problem because. Uh, uh From all that we've heard, we would like to understand what Rav Cook uh, said, but this doesn't always seem to be possible. Um, and on the other hand, you meet up a certain kind, like Hasidim like uh, Rav Cook has many Hasidim who who are absolutely certain that they understand what Rav Cook said, but when you try to figure out what they tell you, it says with what it says. That doesn't always jive. So since I don't consider myself a chosad of Rav Cook, but I consider myself an admirer of Rav Kook, I'm not talking about his knowledge in Torah, which was unparalleled, of which I, you know, could only sit and be, uh, you know, amazed at. But even the ideas, the ideas that are new and uh, uh, different than uh, the ideas that happened in the past, uh, I'm an admirer of those ideas, but I don't always understand them. Right? So I guess there's, I don't think there's a contradiction necessarily between being able to admire what Ralph Cook wrote in spite of the fact that I don't always understand what it says. So this, uh, these two, um, uh, certainly we'll learn the first one. The first quote comes from a book called Orote, which is the, uh, the basic manifesto of Rav Kook right the, the basic work of Rav Kook Rav Kook though know, wrote, wrote a tremendous amount and uh, much of it is published although not all of it the first book that was published is called Orot Orot and the way he write, the way the book is, is published is it's a combination of shorter chapters like put together in ideas but it's not clear that he wrote the, the book as these sections, but the sections may have been created by his son Rav Yehuda. In other words, the, the Rav Cook wrote things in notebooks. He he just wrote all the time apparently, except on Shabbos, just wrote and wrote and wrote and, wrote. and then, and then there was this, you know Rav Shmuel Yehuda collected. Paragraphs or pages that were similar to each other, and that he put them together in, uh, in, uh, like uh, under a certain topical heading, so it's not clear it's not clear whether Rav Cook would have done it that way himself or not done it that way himself. In fact, they say you know there's a book called Chuva Rota Chuva, which is a book about Chuva. Which is a very, uh, very good, very you know, heartwarming and uplifting and uh, and all of those things. And so the story is the Rav Kook, you know, when he got the copy of Arot HaTshuva, he told people that he's never seen this before, and that he learns it himself with great interest, because the book, the book that's called Arot HaTshuva, was created. I mean, it's all Rav Cook's writings. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. It's not—it's nothing that's plagiarized. Uh, it's all Rav Cook. It's just that Rav uh, Suyud so had to take it a little from here, a little from there, a little from there, but put it all together, and and out came a book, and it was very good. So we're going to read a section of of a um, rote, and I'm going to try to explain it to you. And if, my explana- if you like my explanation but can't figure out how it connects to the words, that's good. <laughs> if you don't like my explanation and you can't figure it out how it goes with the words, then I'm in trouble. <clears throat> in other words, he says, the thing that, uh, the preparatory, what's mafshir, what gives you, what connects you to what we are talking about, and what the Rav Cook is talking about, is that there is a national entity. That's Ralph Cook's idea. I don't know if you call it sociology, or you call it something else. It says that the community, Am Yisrael, is greater than the aggregates of the individuals. In other words, let's say you had Am Yisrael, and uh, 57% of them, were crooks. And forty three percent of them were righteous. So does that mean that the whole mess is crooks or that the whole mess is righteous? Well that's an interesting question. Now listen to Rav Cook. Rav Cook says et israel sikhit that Psychologically, the Jewish people, the Jewish people, have an attraction for the idea of God. Right. In, in in other words, I can't prove it. I don't know it. But the Jews seem to have a natural affinity to thinking in terms of a world with God in it. B'yachas giz'i geography Right, in terms of their uh, The anthropology Right, they are anthropologically God-oriented B'matzav geography In the place that they find themselves But I'm, I'm giving you an idea Of what it might mean, but I'm, I don't know Really what he means Shekulam m'sayim Now this is an important idea Kulam Meseim, or everybody helps out. Shirim lekach. Every Jew is part of this uh, personality. So if the Jewish people, as a people, have an affinity to God, that means that every single Jew is part of that inclination. But, hey, now, this was an interesting question that came up at the time of Rav Kook. And it was, how do you explain the fact that Eretz Yisrael was being built by people who had no connection to the Torah and didn't want to do the mitzvah? That in fact, even were deniers. They were deniers of the, of, the, of, uh, of the Torah. Rav Kook thought, and this was a little hard for people to absorb, that in as far as all those people are part of Am Yisrael that they're doing the right thing so to speak. Now this was a a little hard for simple regular Jews to absorb. How could a person who doesn't let other people learn Torah how could he be part of the Am Yisrael who has a great yearning for God? So uh, it's something you have to think about. I'm not so interested here I would say H.A.D. tried to sell it, sell this idea. The I mean, Rav Kook was a profound thinker and a great personality, and it's certainly something that is worthy for consideration. Because as I always say, you see that Eretz Yisrael turned out, that Meginat Yisrael turned out to, in, the, in, the, in, the, uh, in this regard vastly different than those who established the country thought it would. They always thought that, that religious devotion and mitzvot and, would be very uh, incidental, irrelevant, and would pass away. Whereas, in fact, in the 60 years of the state and in the 50 years before that, the opposite happened. Instead of disappearing it, because of a combination of things, it got stronger and more intense and more involved Today, today, are things that are. Uh, it's very, uh, it's very reasonable for the budget of the state of Israel to have a budget line in it called Shemitah. I mean, you know, you may agree with the halachic position or not, but it's very, no one argues that there's such a budget line, and that when, when we run out of, when we run out of onion potatoes, we run out of potatoes that come from Arabs. So we can buy them from Spain. That's of course, us a little more, right? It'll cost a little more money. Now that seemed to be a normal thing. I mean, I think if Ben Gurion heard about that. He would find it all he would get uh, apoplexy. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, it just wouldn't make any. But that's what happened. That's what happens. I'm not saying that Dr. Cook was right. Was, I'm just saying it's interesting. It's interesting that it turned out this way, and it seems to be turning out more that way, and not the not the other way. So he says, So all of these things, where B'nai Yisrael are, and how they live, give us the strength to, uh, uh, to be this way, to have this godly inclination. U'keneset Yisrael... Especially, right the community of Israel <laughs> Israel that is unique because they are on a special level. After all, they receive the Torah. <laughs> he says that the Israel who are in this wondrous state. In its creation, when it was formulated, in other words, we're talking about Yitzhak Mitzrayim and Matan Torah, that the history of the Jewish people begins with this exalted moment of receiving the Torah and standing before God. It's not like a low, a little step, a little step, a little step, moving in the direction of greatness, but it starts from this kind of greatness this achieved a soul uh, which lights up the world and the light within us is somehow connected to the light above and this is what creates the national inclination Hisabakeha ideya hailokit hatslula the this idea in us, it was was planted in us, Idaha Lokita Tslullah, the clear idea about God, Bihal Alhavat Esh Az avata right this fiery love that we have for this idea, U Bihal Tiverit Hodra and Gurata Teferet and Ram and Gburah These are all words that Kabbalists use. You know that Rav Cook knew the Kabbalah very well. Vim Berkei Nagah Barak is the lightning, and Nagah is the light. Chatma La Et Chotam Lo So that what distinguishes us as a nation. This is what bothered this. Is what bothered Rav Cook. You know, the Rav Cook of the nineteenth century knew that. People thought about nations and national entities and these were important these were important ideas. So the Rama Cook said, even though we've been in the diaspora for two thousand years, we have a national character. We can be seen from afar. There is a light that comes out of Am Yisrael, and that is the light of godliness. We think that there is God as a community. All of us say, where do we get it from? We got it from Yitzhiat B'tsharayim and Matan Torah. And that's where we got the certainty that determined, so to speak, our genetic makeup. And that's who we are. And that's what Rav Cook says. That's what Rav Cook says. Now I want to I uh, uh, tell you a few other things. You know that Kodesh Bokho created the world. of all, created the world. And in the world that he created were Adam and Chava. Adam and Chava gave birth to the whole world. To everybody in the world. And then because of one thing or another the world was divided into distinct nations. Now, that happened at the time of the building of of Migdal Bavel, All the people in the world wanted to somehow conquer heaven, go up to heaven and show how big and strong they were. And so they built this tower. The punishment was that they were no longer one people, they were no longer unified by language or by gold, but they would be dispersed physically and spiritually. Physically, because they would live in different places in the world. And spiritually, because they would speak different languages. They would speak different languages. Now, why? Why did this happen? I mean, what would have been so terrible if people had been dispersed? But they spoke the same language. I mean, why would there have to be this... Constant pressure on our children to learn English. I mean, what difference would it make? wouldn 't it be good if everybody in the world spoke Hebrew? And then everything would become what was this spiritual distinction that was created at that time? Now you know that Akadosh Baruch Bohu says. That there is a mitzvah that we have, maybe not a mitzvah that is effective today, but a mitzvah in the Torah nonetheless, to destroy Amalek. In the end of the parish of Kitetse, where the Torah, where Kodesh Bokhu reminds us of the transgression of the Amalekites, and why they deserve to be wiped out, the Torah says you should always remember what Amalek did they attacked us from the rear and they attacked the old and the tired and the infirm and the sick and the ones who were not able to fight back that's what Amalek did But don't think that our obligation to destroy Amalek, that our obligation to destroy Amalek derives from the fact that they fought in an unfair way. Just as our obligation to take Nikamah from the Midianites has nothing to do with the fact that they fought in an unfair way by sending the young girls to entice the men of Israel, but the pasuk says quite clearly V'lo Yere Elokim V'lo Elokim now simply what does V'lo Yirei Elokim mean? V'lo Yere Elokim might mean that after all the Jewish people were protected by God in the time of Mitzrayim. so anybody who is willing to fight with the Jewish people is willing to fight with God is willing also for, That's called lo yirei elokim. But in fact, in fact, I think it's reasonable to give those words lo yirei elokim a different interpretation. Lo yirei elokim means that they are not capable of yirat elokim. In other words, in other words, what is it? about Amalek that made them deserve annihilation being wiped out what was the point on which the Torah says that they have no their existence cannot be justified the lo yirei elotim in other words the standard of humanity what makes humanity what makes humanity viable According to the Torah, is the law is yerat elokim. That's what makes humanity viable. Lo yeray Elohim is not viable. Again, what did Rashi say? What did Rashi say? Why was it that? Why was it that the Midianites deserved to be destroyed? First interpretation of Rashi. Why did the Midianites deserve to be destroyed? The law because. They did not fear. The Moabites, they feared. They were afraid. And fear, fear is a positive quality. Because it can be transmitted along the line to fear of God. So, I go back to the story at the beginning. After Migdal Bazel. After fell, there was a problem in the created world. Because the people who built the Tower of Babel had no fear. They had no fear. They were going to go and capture heaven. Can you imagine that? They were going to run up to heaven and fight with God and his angels and say, we are more important. We down there are more important than you up there. That's what they said. That's what they said. So they deserved, they deserved to be destroyed. Instead of being destroyed, there was a chesed, a loving kindness exhibited by God to mankind. And what was that loving kindness? They were divided into small groups. And those groups could be investigated independently of each other. And in that investigation, what was discovered? That Amalek are the children of the children of the children who built the Migdal Bavel, the Lo And Midyan, according to Rashi, are again the children of the children of the children of the children of the children who do not fear. Because after all, Moshe Rabbein and Am Yisrael, everybody knew were backed up by God. The Moabites, they had fear. They had fear. And Rashi then says, uh, so Rashi doesn't say, but by implication, says the destruction of Amalek, the discovery of Amalek as being the ones who carry that gene of lo yirei lukim, who don't have the capacity to believe or to fear God, right, are totally at the other end of the spectrum from Am Yisrael, as Rav Cook explains it. Am Yisrael are the ones who have the capacity to fear God. They may, they may be in arrears. They may not be doing it as well as they should at the moment, but they have that capacity. When push comes to shove, that's who they are. They're the people who feel fear God. Amalek, when push comes to shove, lo yer when Midian, with Midian, they're not afraid. The Moabites came to the Midianites and said, we're afraid. Look what B'nai Yisrael is going to do to us. B'nai Yisrael led by God is impenetrable. A came to the, the Midianim and Midianites said, no problem, leave it to us. Leave it to us. But still, you could say, isn't it true that Moab did act against B'nai Yisrael? And that Moab that Moab tried very hard to do us in as well. Isn't that true? So what does Rashi say? Rashi says there are various kinds of tests. The fact that Ruta Moabiyah comes from Moav, And who is Ruta Mo'aviya? I mean, what does she stand for? What does she stand for? Your God is my God and your land is my land. He says, who could, what kind of nation could have produced, it's not like the Rashi is saying, spare Moab, because otherwise Ruth won't be born. We say, no. A Ganesh Moshe explaining it to Moshe Rabbeinu in Rashi. A Ganesh made is to Moshe Rabbeinu, saying to Moshe Rabbeinu, listen Moshe Rabbeinu, Ruth comes from Moab. That means that Moab is ultimately differentiated from Midian. Midian was fearless. And Moab was afraid. So you Moshe Rabbi say, yeah, they're afraid, of, they're afraid of the guns, they're afraid of the tanks, they're afraid of the planes. He says, no, no, no. They have it in them to fear God. And the proof of that is Ruta Moabiyah. Because Ruta Moabiyah could not have been produced from Moab if the Moab didn't have that that kind of tuna, So that in the world, there's kind of a sliding scale. Right? There's kind of a sliding scale of yirat Elohim. Where Am Yisrael developed this capacity in a most perfect sense, in a more perfect sense, at the time of Matan Torah, when B'nai Yisrael stood at Har Sinai. And other nations, to a greater or lesser extent, understood that God protects the Bnei Yisrael, uh, that the Torah God gave them is the Torah that God wants them to keep, etc., 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 etc. And when Akkadribahu said to Moshe Midian, they're at the other end of the spectrum. They're with Amalek. Amalek, which means didn't have the capacity to fear God. Midian, they're not afraid. They don't think that God. Uh, that God produces fear or that fear is a reasonable uh, uh, response and therefore they were guilty not of attacking the Jewish people a lot of nations can attack the Jewish people but they were guilty of having the ideology that denied fear of God and if you wanted a proof, Rashi says that comes from Ruta Moaviyah there's Ruta Moaviah who certainly had the fear of God she certainly represented godliness. She was she was like Rivka, right, the wife of of Yitzchak, or like Sarai Sarah, who was the wife of of Avram Avinu, or Rachel, Lea, or the Leah, the wives of Yaakov, who who came from a place that looked like it denied the Yerachimain, but they became the uh, embodiment of the Yerachimain, indicating that even though those nations were kind of far away in the way they acted they nevertheless had the capacity to produce Yir At-Shamayim and so Rav Kook says Rav Kook says look if you look at Am Yisrael like a collection of individuals if you say all the people in Eretz Yisrael I mean every individual so let's count them how many people go to shul on Shabbos let's count how many people eat kosher food and that's going to tell us the truth about Am Yisrael Rav Kook said no That's not going to tell us the truth about Am Yisrael. Because the truth about Am Yisrael is that the people who were there at Har Sinai changed. It doesn't mean that they all perfected their ways. It doesn't mean that everybody understood profoundly what had happened. It doesn't mean that at all. But it means that they developed a capacity, a potential, right, to be great Uh, to have a great fear of God, to be able to stand before God's will at all times. And that capacity, Rav Kook insisted, is part of what he saw when he saw the reconstitution of the Jewish people in the land of Israel. And you have to admit that there is a mystery. I mean, not that you can't explain it in one way or the other, but when the Jews... A lot of Jews had the option of assimilating, and many Jews did try to assimilate, there's no doubt. But to come up with this crazy idea, the Jews who are not devoutly Jewish, to come up with this crazy idea that they would go to Israel and create a Jewish homeland, that seems to be the most difficult option available they could have much more easily gone to New Zealand, changed their names, and lived happily ever after. I could have said Oshkosh, Wisconsin, but I think New Zealand is even less likely. So, Sarorata midianim sororita midianim means there are some people, not just that they fought you, but they fought you about Yirat Elokit. And there are some people who don't have that capacity. Amalek, Midyan. But Moab was different. Moab expressed fear. And because of that, they were spared. And because of that, they were able to produce rut ham-noaviyah. And that's what the Ramban means when he says that this produced great joy in Moshe Rabbeinu. Because Moshe Rabbeinu was not just eat. Evening out the score. Like, you got one. Now we're going to get one. It wasn't that. It was that Moshe Rabbeinu was saying. Was saying. This is a better world. This is the way the world has to. Work. This is a world in which everybody is pulling. In the direction of your At-Shamayim. And the ones who have, don't have the capacity. Who are left over from Migdal Bavel. As the. Those who don't fear God. Those people have to be destroyed and, uh, and dealt with. Of course, only directed by Kodesh Bochum, but when that direction comes, it has to be done, and it produces great simcha. Have a good Shabbos.